This episode is brought to you by Collector Mount. Mount all your old DVD, m- movies, Blu-rays, and records on your wall. Sounds good, Mike. You know, it's not just for uh, DVDs and movies and such. I saw you could do comics as well. That's right. Yeah, anyone that's the website's a- actually comicmount.com. Yeah, visit comicmount.com and enter code LATEFEE25 for 25% off your order. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hey everybody, welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is uh, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. How are you? I'm doing well. We've had a good week again. Always a good week here at Massive Late Fee. A little programming note. The, today we were supposed to have the host of the Skeptical Skeptics podcast come by and talk to us about conspiracy movies. They had a family emergency. Uh, they told me about it a couple days ago. So they weren't able to come this week. So we're uh, we're shifting gears a little bit. But I'm hoping, I'm going to contact them this week, and I'm hoping that uh, we can get them next week. So everything seems to be okay with them, which is good. But uh, they were not able to come today. Um, so, uh, oh, a uh, another episode of Retro Late Feed Drop today. We talk about Mrs. Doubtfire, which was uh, came out in, in December of 93. But uh, there's a cool thing on uh, Box Office Mojo where you can look up all the top movies from uh, each week. I don't know exactly how far back it goes, but it definitely goes into 94. And at this time, Philadelphia and Mrs. Doubtfire were still number one and two. A lot of people might forget, but this was back in the era where a a movie, if it was a, a pretty big movie, like a blockbuster movie like Mrs. Doubtfire was, that it would be either number one or number two for like 12, 14, 16 weeks. Um that obviously doesn't happen that much anymore, but uh, check that out, uh, the re- Retro Late Fee on the same feed as you see this. Uh, we had a pretty interesting discussion about that. And Mike gets name dropped in it. About time. <laughs> but uh, on to the news. Uh, not, a, not a ton of news this week, but uh, there's a little bit. Zack Snyder, uh, one of my least favorite directors... Hold on, let me get on the edge of my seat real quick. Right. He, Go. He uh, he is his next movie is going to be a zombie movie for Netflix called Army of the Dead. A lot of people probably remember that he. I think he sort of. Uh, yeah, I think this was his directorial debut, but he broke onto the scene with Dawn of the Dead in two thousand four. Before going, oh yeah, out. he did do that, didn't he? Yeah. Or did he, was that before three hundred? Yes, I think it was. I think three hundred was maybe the next year. Yeah, yeah, I think three hundred was the next year. I think. But um, wait, was 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 it Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead? Dawn of the Dead. Oh, was that the one with Ving Rhames? Mm-hmm. I thought it was. Day, I thought it was Day of the Dead. I think that one was the one with Ving Rhames, and it opens up. Uh, where they're mall? No, they're, no, they're in a neighborhood actually. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And then they go to the mall. Is that correct? I believe so. Yes. 
Yeah, that's the thing Raymond. I don't know why I thought it was Day of the Dead. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead is the one that takes place in the mall. Day of the Dead is uh is kind of the original Day of the Dead is a very weird but sort of interesting film. Uh Zack Snyder is a terrible director. Like Mike, I'm not huge into zombie movies. And it's, yeah, if you listen to our Shaun of the Dead uh, audio commentary, you'd know all about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, also, yeah, also I, I, I tweeted it, but uh, worth mentioning that we watched, or uh, we did an audio commentary on Bandcamp of Dawn of the Dead. That'll be linked below, as, as it always is. Uh, and yeah, so I'm not really looking forward to this. And it's just another thing that Netflix is throwing some money at. But it's interesting that he did all these uh, DC movies, and now he can't. Now he's he's kind of forced to go to Netflix. I mean, a lot of good stuff does come to Netflix originally, but I can't imagine this is going to be one of them. Yeah, I don't really think he's a good director. Like he's, I, mean, I think he was a painter before he became a director. Yeah, he, he he's pretty good at like the way the movie looks. Like the movie The Watchmen looked great, but it was mm-hmm. a terrible movie. Yeah, he's 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 pretty good. Uh, he has a pretty good visual aesthetic, although he he overuses that bullet time effect a little bit too much, I think. But he has a pretty good visual aesthetic and a decent palette, but he doesn't know how to structure a film, really. And he's not very good at uh, framing innovative shots as far as uh, camera movement and emotion, stuff like that goes. But yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Sticking on Zombies... Though something I'm a little more looking forward to, although I'm not overjoyed about it, Zombieland Two now has a title, uh, Double Tap, which is a reference to the first film, Always Double Tap, and uh, a new cast member, Rosario Dawson, Clerks Two's own Rosario Dawson. Oh, nice! I like her. But uh, this one is apparently it's taking place a number of years after the original, probably uh, 10, I would imagine, because the first one came out in 2009 and this one will come out later this year at 2019 in 2019. Uh, Woody Harrelson's coming back, Emma Stone, Abigail Breslin and Jesse Eisenberg. The original, like all like all of them, even to an extent, Woody Harrelson are like much bigger, like you know, celebrities now. I think, yeah, for sure, definitely Emma Stone, Jesse Eisenberg's probably a lot more, yeah, definitely more well known than when this came out. And Abigail Breslin, she's still sort of on the indie scene. I think Uh, she was in Little Miss Sunshine before this when she was younger, and I would say, but she's more well known now. I would say for sure. And Woody Harrelson kind of revitalizes, uh, you know, celebrity with um, True Detective. Yeah. Yeah, and he was in Three Billboards. He got nominated for uh, an Oscar for that. And, yeah, he's been in uh, a bunch of stuff since then. His career is definitely... He's a... Woody Harrelson is very he's good a, He's actor. a good actor, yeah. I don't know why it ever went away in the first place. I mean, he's really good in The People versus Larry Flint. Yep. He played Larry Flint. <laughs> Yeah, he was. Norm Macdonald was one of the people. He, he was such a good actor that uh, that when Norm and him were doing a scene, Norm didn't even realize they were doing a scene. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty great story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this uh, you know it's funny too. They did that ten year challenge thing on uh, Facebook is becoming a big a big thing, and kind of dumb. 
But they did a 10-year challenge with Zombieland. They showed the original Zombieland poster, and then they showed the new poster where they're they're posed pretty much the same. And obviously, Abigail Breslin has, has grown a lot and changed. Emma Stone definitely looks a little older. Jesse Eisenberg looks a little older. And Woody Harrelson looks exactly the same. <laughs> that guy does not age. It isn't a very strict like diet movie that has uh, something to do with it. Yeah, you know, in that in the original movie, he was looking for Twinkies, and uh, they find snow cones at one point, which he does eat, but he's like, you know, he says, "Oh, it's not the same." And uh, they had to, they had to. I don't know how they. Maybe they made them themselves, or they had to. Yeah, I think they had to make them themselves, but they had to make uh, vegan uh, snow cones for uh, you know for. Um, Woody Harrelson because he doesn't uh, he's a strict vegan I guess. Oh, I, I, at one point he had an even more like strict diet. He was like a raw diet where he wouldn't eat anything cooked. I don't know if he's still doing that or if he's like upped it to cook to veganism now. But yeah, he has a very strict diet for life. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's big on that. But you know, he's in great shape and he doesn't age, so maybe he is onto something. Yeah, could be. Uh, I like the. Uh, did you did you ever see the movie uh, Ted? The uh, with the the, Seth the teddy bear one? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a funny part where they were talking about watching like a uh, Ted dance mm-hmm. in scenes of uh, Cheers. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty that's a pretty funny part. <laughs> so the last bit of news that I have today is Ryan Reynolds uh, with Fox or with Disney acquiring Fox and and Deadpool and stuff. Deadpool 3 is sort of up in the air. He's confident that they will make it, but he's definitely keeping busy. There are two movies that he is uh, starring in. I believe they both come out next year, I think. Uh, one is One's an action comedy called Shotgun Wedding, which uh, apparently is about um, a... Uh, like a hitman kind of guy who's uh you know settling down and getting married I guess from what I can can gather from it and the other one seems somewhat interesting it's at least an original idea or somewhat original idea I guess when you hear it you'll know exactly what it's two, like two guys and a girl in a pizza place <laughs> no the movie Wednesday's nights on ABC <laughs> that's a uh, that's a Clark's the animated just, series reference. Just listen to every podcast we've ever done, and you'll get that right. But no, he's he's going to be in a movie called uh, Free Guy, where or Free Guy, I guess he plays a character named Guy who learns that he is the a background character in a violent open world video game, sort of like Grand Theft Auto Five, and. Uh-huh. His, he learns that uh, their world is going to be shut down because it's going to be replaced by a sequel. And so he tries to save the world by convincing everyone else that they're actually living in a video game and starting a revolution. This, with any high concept idea like this, this has the chance to be really good or really terrible. It's... It's oh, yeah. ra- it's rare that any high concept idea falls in the middle where it's just okay or just mediocre. Yeah, the Matrix on paper it could go either way, especially when you say starring Keanu Reeves. Right, 
But and it's a great example of a uh, great high concept movie. The yeah, first one, yeah. But this this reminds me a little bit of the Truman Show, obviously, where you know somebody discovers that the world they knew is a fiction, and a little bit of Wreck It Ralph, I guess, because in in that one they they were trying to prevent themselves from getting deleted when their video game got reset, but. You know, I, I do like that it's an original, you know, a somewhat original concept anyway. And it's an interesting idea. I could see a lot of room for humor in, you know, like a background character in Grand Theft Auto, basically. And all the yeah. things that could go on there. So, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. But those are the two films that he is uh, he's looking to do. So... That is the news for this week. I think we we covered a lot of the news last week and not much else has happened this week. Nope, nothing happened. But they did, uh, they had the, the Screen Actors Guild Award. I like award shows a lot, but I don't even watch this one. So I didn't, I didn't read about it. I didn't look it up and I didn't watch it. So I can't tell you who won and I don't really care. I think I heard that Black Panther movie won Best Picture. Really? Yeah, that's what I heard. I don't know. I didn't actually watch it, but I heard it from someone or on TV or on the radio. I don't remember. Interesting. That uh, that bodes well for the Oscars for them, I suppose. I don't think that movie does. It's a fine movie. And like I said, socially important in certain ways. But as far as just the art of making a movie, it does not deserve to win Best Picture. But we'll, um, we'll see what happens. There's not even any fish fuckery in this one. <laughs> God, I fucking hate that movie so much. I mean, The, the Shape of Water is a decent movie, but I I really I like it, there are good things about it in uh, you know, Guillermo del Toro is very good at uh kind of like Zack Snyder, he's very good with aesthetics. Uh the shots are beautiful, the cinematography's great. There are lots of good things about it from a technical standpoint, but from the plot standpoint, it is awful and I just hate it so much because it does not fucking deserve <laughs> Best Picture. Is that the movie you went to where you had the knife and you just kept cutting your hand as you uh, watched it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it looks interesting. I wanted to go see it in the theater, but then it was on H- I never did, and it was on like HBO, and I turned it on, and it was right at that fish fuck scene. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I can really get in at this movie. I kind of have to be uh, seduced to this point, I think. <laughs> My disbelief is yet to be uh, suspended. Yeah, and that's the problem is that um, is that they don't really build to it. Not in not in any kind of satisfying way. She's like friends with the thing. They never talk um, at all, and uh, you know they just they communicate via sign language or whatever. I I can't even remember. Basically, you know, like hand motions and stuff. Um, and, and they, they just seem like they're friends. And then all of a sudden, uh, she's, or he's in, uh, her bathroom and they're having sex. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure it was odd. And also I don't feel that the bathroom would fill up entirely like that, like in a cartoon. No. Yeah, exactly. So again, that's definitely not the moment you want to come into that movie yet. No, but, uh, 
So moving on to uh, what we're watching today, or well, today I watched. I think you watched it last night. We watched uh, that new movie on Netflix called Polar. Uh, it's uh, an assassin movie. It's not good. Yeah, there, there is really the, there's really one thing about the entire movie that I liked, and it was uh, Johnny Knoxville at the beginning. It's yeah. always fun to see him show up. In- but then, like when he gets killed, I'm like, oh my god, you wasted Johnny Knoxville. You had him in the movie, and this, and he's already out of the movie. Yeah. Like, like when, um, when they were doing uh, the Kingdom of the Christmas Crystal Skull, I guess uh, Harrison Ford or someone had asked uh, Sean Connery to appear in it, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, yeah, but they only wanted to be there at the beginning of the movie, you know, like it's like a cameo." And he said, "Well, if I showed up, you'd want me to kind of, the audience would just want me to come along the whole movie, which I'm not doing." Right, and uh, that's kind of what happened in this movie. I'm like, oh, good, Johnny Knoxville. I'm like, oh, wait, he's the victim, and then no more Johnny Knoxville. And that was like the best character of the movie, kind of, because he was just kind of like fun. And then the, the whole movie, I felt, was very mixed. Like they couldn't decide if they were being serious or just like completely like cartoonish at certain points. Yep, absolutely. It was the the tone was horrible because it was it was all over the place. Anytime they went and they showed the um, the Mister Blute the leader of this or this organization i i was reminded of like a bad austin powers villain like uh gold member yeah, or something yeah. like that and it's just it was so cartoonish and so ridiculous but any scene with mads mickelson in it which is most of the movie is dour and uh and very yeah. serious there's like a wacky group of happy-go-lucky like assassins who just goes around killing people just because they live in a place rented out by this guy, which makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, that was another thing that was weird. He owns four properties. He only lives at one, but he, I guess, he visits all of them and and he rents out at least two of them, and then the other one. And one seemed to be a trailer, like a tra- like a yeah. trailer to trailer. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. And then the other one was just broken into by uh, people smoking pot or whatever, I guess. Something. Yeah, I, I don't really know what was. This movie, I tuned out quite a bit during large portions of it. And there's no reason for them to kill those people either, by the way. No, there's no there's no reason at all. It, make, it literally makes no sense. And then um, there's just, just big parts of the movie are just very odd. Like, uh, I was watching it in here because we were going to have it be the main review topic of the show today. Um, but I immediately realized it was a bad movie, and all it took you to realize that. Uh, I think when I saw the CGI bird, the a completely unnecessary CGI bird that looked horrible, fly by the camera and in the within the, <laughs> the first five seconds of the movie, yeah. I was like, <laughs> "Oh no!" But uh, I, I often uh, watch things in the garage because it's quieter, and I smoke sometimes. Um, but I was watching it, and then there's like this, there's a sex scene in the movie that's like I swear it's like a five minute long sex scene. Oh yeah, very very long, very unnecessary. Yeah, and then at that that's the exact moment my wife came out to tell me something, and ah. I can tell like she's talking to me, she's kind of hearing what I'm listening to. She's like, <laughs> "What are what are you watching?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's a Netflix scene." I'm like, "Okay, this will stop any second now." It did not. <laughs> that is hilarious. It sounded no different. I mean, I can see why she would. I don't know why she think I'd just be staring at the screen. Oh my god! <laughs> kind of uncomfortable. Oh my god, that is hilarious. Yeah, yeah you, it's just a weird. I don't. Know. 
You know, Mads Mikkelsen is in it. I, I've i liked Mads Mikkelsen in some other things that he's done. Uh, yeah, he was good in uh, the show Hannibal. Yeah, exactly. Vanessa Hudgens. I'm not super familiar with her. I think she was on that um, Disney movie way back when. And I, she's probably done some other things. It wasn't that another odd thing? Wasn't she? Wasn't she supposed to be playing like a teenager or something like that? I think so. Like I, and it was just, and she was just clearly not like a teenager, but I think she was like underage or something weird like that. They like made it a point to say that she was underage. Mm-hmm. Like this movie just took so many like different ideas uh, from other movies and just used none of them in a good or a useful or inventive way. There's like literally nothing that's original about this movie. Yeah, you know, the other time that I got uh that I got a little worried at the beginning of the movie again as well was when I saw that it was produced in association with Dark Horse Comics. And I said, Oh, I, I had heard this was based on a comic book or a graphic novel. It's uh, a Dark Horse original and I was like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is based off a comic, actually. Yeah, and I think it's a Dark Horse original. No, I think it's a Dark Horse original comic. Um, oh, I see. I thought you were saying that maybe the the movie was just like purely original and not based on a comic. You didn't realize it was a comic or something. And I mean, nothing against Dark Horse. You know, Dark Horse has done Dark Horse did Archie versus the Predator. They've done some good stuff. Uh, nothing against them except for their entire body of work. But <laughs> right. but a lot of a lot of their original stuff. The, you know where they don't, where they're they're not using IP that they've uh, purchased from other from other things like Archie and the Predator. Um, a lot of their original stuff tends to not be that great. But the, I mean, this movie is an assassin movie. Uh, you know, based. I mean, it's there. There. Are, I mean, there's a lot of this genre out there, and it's very. It's a very generic-y one, except for the few like very silly elements of it, but the silly elements of it don't mesh well with the rest of it. And Richard Dreyfus is in it for like, yeah, for yeah, like that was, five uh, minutes for no reason. Yeah, that, was a, that was a thing he probably shot in an hour for a hefty paycheck. I would think. Yeah. And I mean, and he's good, you know, Richard Dreyfus still can act. That's for sure. Yeah. But, um, I haven't seen him in anything for a while, but this movie, right. I'm coming out of retirement. Polar. Yeah, but the, you know they show that Matt Lucas plays uh, that guy Bl- Blut or Blute, um, and they uh, they show a picture of his dad, which is just clearly Matt Lucas, <laughs> like a pa- painting of Matt Lucas with long hair, and it's like the that kind of stuff. It's like it's like an Austin Powers movie. That's the total vibe that I got from it. It's very violent. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. And yeah, I was, I was super disappointed with, um, with, uh, the Johnny Knoxville thing too. Cause Johnny Knoxville, Johnny Knoxville is the kind of guy that could elevate a movie like this Be- or, or, you know, yeah. where they could, they could have made a, like if, if Johnny Knoxville had replaced Mad, Mads Mickelson's character, not then, like I said, I like Mads Mickelson. I just don't think. Him and his acting style and the way he wrote his character fits with the tone of this. But if it was Johnny Knoxville being like kind of crazy and off the wall, like the villains were, then I think it could have worked a lot better. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, but yeah, Johnny Knoxville was was great at the beginning of uh, the movie, and 
Yeah, there were there were like there were a couple things here and there. There were some interesting, you know, things in the movie, but for the most part, yeah, the the tone was just um was just all over the place. I didn't It's th- like each person a different person wrote each scene as if that's yeah, how yeah, awful. Exactly. And it almost feel like felt like a video game at certain points where it was like, okay, Mads Mickelson goes here and he kills this guy. And then, okay, so now he's moving on to this scene. And they just, it didn't right. feel so, it did, the scenes didn't feel super cohesive. They more felt like, well, we're going from one to the other. Like, I can almost see the storyboard as the movie went along. Right. But yeah, so I was, uh, you know, it's one of those that um, Netflix is pushing, you know, where it's like, oh, Netflix recommends or this is trending on Netflix or whatever. Right. So I figured, you know, we could check it out. But yeah, it's, uh, oh man, it's not very good. <laughs> no, it's it's not. And I didn't know anything about it when I suggested that we watch it. I had just seen I had just seen it pop up, and this is not my favorite genre of film anyway. So oh, I love I love assassin movies, but I don't know it just was a a bad take on so many different you know tropes of that genre. Yeah, and that's the thing is anything that they didn't steal uh, or n- not necessarily steal, but but anything that wasn't cliche that that wasn't kind of generic from other assassin movies just didn't fit at all with the, with the movie. And if they had, like I said, if they had decided, okay, no Mads Mikkelsen's character, we'll have Johnny Knoxville's character be the main character that they're trying to kill. And the plot could have stayed pretty much the same for their reasons for killing him and everything. Everything else could have stayed pretty much the same. But the tone, the whole tone would have changed. They could have put some more jokes in and stuff, and it could have been like, "Hey, yeah, it's in a, it's an assassin movie, but it's different. It's a different take on it because it's more kind of like wacky and madcap, or whatever adjective you want to use for it." I think that would have worked better. But uh, yeah, have you been watching anything else, Mike? Uh, any other things uh, you want to mention? Yeah, I'm the uh, recommendation recommendation of my wife, who uh, thought I was watching a porno the other day. Um, <laughs> I watched the Fire Festival docu- documentary on uh, the the Netflix one or the Hulu one. Oh yeah, the Netflix one. I know there's okay. two versions, and I think we even talked about. You said that one was the Hulu one was moved up ahead of the Netflix one, just despite. The- yeah, yeah, it was, it was a it was a very uh, interesting uh, story. You know, I'd heard a, a little bit bits and pieces about the Fire Festival a couple years ago. I guess it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never really followed it very closely. And I'm like, but I mean, I heard it was good and it was kind of interesting. You know, like one of those things, like, yeah, I'd like to know more about that. And it was, you know, pretty educational. And the guy was just kind of like a psycho at the end. It's like, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I've been I've been seeing. You know, it's been popping up on my Netflix thing, and I've been thinking about watching it as well. Uh, I'll probably give it a watch at some point I was playing catch up a little bit here for the, for the podcast, watching the stuff that we were going to talk about uh, today. So I didn't really have time to watch a lot of stuff. Uh, I watched, what else did I watch? I, you know, I can't, I've continued to watch house. Have I watched anything new that I haven't talked about? Um, Oh, you know, I watched my wife and I caught up. We were like three episodes behind. I caught up on, a sitcom starring Jenna Fisher from The Office and, um, oh, what is his name? It's Goldie Hawn's son. Um, 
I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but they're in a show called Splitting Up Together, which is based on a German show, actually, about huh. a, about a couple that gets divorced but decides to continue living together. And what they do is he stays in the guest house on their property uh, one week, and she stays in the main house, and then the next week they switch. So it's like each week they have the kids, but they're also still right there and still in each other's lives. What's oh. that girl that was in uh, ten or uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days? What's her name? Oh, I have no idea. Dang it! Because it's Goldie Hawn's daughter, and they're oh, wait, Kate Hudson. Yes, uh, Oliver Hudson. Okay, that's his name. I knew if I remembered the last name, I'd get it. Oliver Hudson's his name. They're brother sure. and sister. But uh, you know, and he was on a show called Rock Hudson's Kids. Right, exactly. She he was on a show called Last Man Standing, so both of them are familiar with the sitcom territory. They're both really good. The kids that are in the show are really good as well, and because they have three children in the show, and there's you know they've got um, uh, Bobby Lee is one of his friends, <laughs> and yeah, Bobby Lee's very funny in the show. Bobby Lee's funny in general. He's uh, he's got a podcast uh, that's really good. But yeah, so they have, they've got a good supporting cast as well. And it's a very funny show. So we caught up on that. It's one of those where it's it's not going to blow you away. It's not hilarious. It's nothing necessarily new. It's a good old-fashioned sitcom, basically. I mean, the the concept is, you know, somewhat new. I've never seen a show before where two people got divorced and decided to live together. And there's all this still sexual tension and stuff between the two of them. But uh, but yeah, it's just a good old fashioned sitcom. But it's it's solid. Nice. But, I'm not gonna watch it, but nice. No, I know you're not gonna watch it. But uh, but yeah. So this week our main topic is uh, the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, and he was a serial killer, obviously. Um, and also, I mean, it's in what you're watching, but it's sort of a main topic too. The movie Polar, which you know he's an assassin, but he could also be sort of typified as a serial killer so i figured for educating mike i would find a serial killer story that we could talk about and i found one in the 1992 film dr giggles i've seen that movie yeah i i think we saw it together i believe i i remember seeing it quite a while ago it was directed by manny Cotto, who if you're a fan of the star trek franchise to such nope. a to such a degree that you know the writers, he was a writer on Star Trek Enterprise and later a writer on the television show Twenty Four, and he did some Tales from the Crypt stuff like that as well. But uh, yeah, he definitely made more of a name for himself as a writer than as a director. But <clears throat> this this plot summary is pretty good. So <clears throat> in the town, oh, and it stars. What's his name? Uh, Larry Drake, who people might remember during this time, too, played Lenny, the uh, mentally handicapped assistant on the NBC television show L.A. Law. (laughs) Oh, I never saw that. Yeah. So, in the town of Morehigh in 1957, the patients of Dr. Evan Randall kept disappearing. After some investigation, the citizens of Morehigh found that he and his son, Evan Jr., nicknamed Dr. Giggles for his hideous laugh. And I'm sure that there are people out there that are now saying, oh, we should we should nickname Mark Dr. Giggles. Because uh, I, I have a similar sort of laugh. 
See, I don't know why. I thought he was a, uh, a a dentist for some reason. Yeah, I get these two confused too, and I think part part of it for me, I think, is the LA Law uh, connection because there's also a horror movie that came out in 1996 called The Dentist, and that stars Corbin Burnson, who was also on LA Law. Well, I, I never watched LA Law, um, but just be, for some reason, I, I don't know why. I always thought the character was a dentist. Like, and then even after I see it and realize he's not, mm-hmm. it just seems like—I mean, the name alone makes me think of a dentist for some reason. Yeah, um, yeah. Laughing. This movie was released my twelfth birthday. That's right. Yep. Thank you, Manny Cotto. <laughs> but um, anyway, so. Uh, the, so they found out that uh, he and his son were ripping out patients' hearts in an attempt to bring back the doctor's dead wife. Which, I mean, I guess, sort of like Frankenstein, but... It's kind of romantic in a way. Yeah. But, I mean, I, scientifically, I don't understand how this works at all, if she's already dead, because her brain is well, dead. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, are you a doctor, Mark? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Oh, hmm. But the townspeople stoned Dr. Randall to death. <laughs> but Evan Jr. disappeared. So they it's 57, but they're going really Shirley Jackson old school <laughs> on this guy. It's a poor town, okay? <laughs> 35 years later, Dr. Giggles escapes from a mental asylum. No, no uh, word, no indication of as to how... He was put in a mental asylum because they just said he disappeared. So he escaped this, but then also still found his way into a mental asylum. Killing everyone in his path. In Moore High, 19-year-old Jennifer Campbell, her boyfriend Max Anderson, and their friends are planning their summer break. Jennifer, upset that her father is dating again shortly after her mother's death, is further angered when she is diagnosed with a heart condition and is forced to wear a heart monitor to determine if she needs surgery. Angered seems like a weird reaction to have to finding out you have a heart problem and have to wear a heart monitor, but I guess yeah. she's an angry I, teenager. I, I guess. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Giggles breaks into his father's abandoned office. They killed him 35 years ago. How, how, like, isn't property worth something in this town? <laughs> they just leave the office abandoned for 35 years. Well, I mean, they were pissed off enough at this guy to kill him with rocks. I mean, what do you think they're going to do, you know, uh, move on as a real estate right away? <laughs> they were playing the long game. But uh, so he breaks into his father's abandoned office and starts going through the doctor's old files, gathering a list of names. He begins to stalk and kill several of the town's residents, including Jennifer's friends. They don't explain why. I mean, I would think that he was going to get a list of the people who killed his dad and to get revenge on them. But Jennifer's friends, I assume it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Probably twenty, what is two thousand? Probably twenty-seven years. Um, but uh, her friends are also nineteen, so would not have been a part of the murder party. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe he, he he should go to the quarry <laughs> and destroy that, since that's where they got all the rocks. <laughs> but Jennifer comes home from a party. Punch punch out the rock biter. <laughs> Jennifer comes home from a party and, deciding that she's had enough of her heart monitor, dumps it in a fish tank. 
I, I mean, that that test is not going to be usable now. She's just going to have to get it again. She's just going to get angry again. Right. Jennifer Jennifer's father finds her heart monitor and goes to look for her, leaving his girlfriend, Tamara, behind to also be killed by Dr. Giggles. It makes it sound like he did that on purpose. <laughs> he left her behind to be killed by Dr. Giggles. Here, you wait here, Tamara. Dr. Giggles will be right in. Jennifer returns to the party and sees Max kissing another girl. Distraught, she runs into a house of mirrors. As you what? as you do when you're when you're upset. <laughs> so she's distraught by this, but angry by the Shouldn't it be the opposite? Yeah, no kidding. Do you think there's like a slight like a uh, mix up in the writer's room? <laughs> Did you say distraught or angry here? <laughs> I remember it was an alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they uh, they had done so much cocaine in the writers' room that they couldn't uh, they couldn't tell the difference between emotions anymore. And they uh, they called uh, cocaine Doctor Giggles. So when right. they had to come up with the title for the movie, like, oh, why don't we just call it Doctor Giggles? <laughs> Doctor Giggles sees Jennifer and notices that she has the same heart condition as his mother, and goes after her. How? Like what? Was there a twitch in her hand? And he's like, "Oh, that can only happen if you have is this." He even a do- heart is he even a doctor at all? Isn't he the son? Yeah, he was the son, and uh, I so think he went to medical school while he's on the lam for all these years. Yeah, while he was in the mental institution. Oh, I'm doing a co. Uh, I'm doing a correspondence course in uh, medicine. Oh my god! While they're trying to see whether or not I'll kill again. He follows and kills the other girl Max was kissing, but Jennifer sees him coming and manages to escape. Officers Magruder, and that always reminds me of Magruder. And <laughs> always? So every time you watch Zucker Giggles? Yeah, the one the one time that I watched it before Magruder was even a thing. That was too much, probably. Oh. Officers Magruder and Ritz find her and take her to the police station. Through a flashback, Officer Magruder explains to Ritz that he knows how Evan Jr. escaped the night that Dr. Randall was killed. He was in the morgue where the bodies of Dr. Randall and his dead wife were. He noticed the dead wife's body moving and then witnessed Evan Jr. cutting his way out of her with a scalpel. He realized that Evan Jr. escaped by cutting open his mother's corpse and sewing it shut with him in it. That experience has left Officer uh, McGruber an alcoholic and an insomniac. (laughs) Yeah, I don't... uh... (laughs) So he tauntaunt his way inside his mom. (laughs) But uh, anyway... It was cold. (laughs) The force can't warm you up. Yeah, I don't... I, I agree with you. I don't understand how that works. Even, let's say... Like I said, it's been a long... It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. But judging by the age of the actor when this movie came out and it was 35 years after this let's say that he was like 10 or younger even like five um that, i think he was like 10 in the movie i don't know why that's too big there are organs in there and stuff you know i mean like you could you hide inside of a body bigger than you if it was completely hollowed out maybe but not with all the stuff that's in it But anyway, so Dr. Giggles makes his way to Jennifer's house and attacks her father. Officer McGruber goes to investigate uh, Jennifer's house and finds her father there lying in a pool of blood. Dr. Giggles mortally wounds McGruber, who, recognizing him as Evan Jr., 
angrily shoots him in the side before dying. Wrights arrive soon after, finding his partner dead. Angrily. (laughs) Finding his partner dead and Jennifer's father wounded but alive. Meanwhile, Dr. Giggles returns to his hideout, performing surgery on himself to remove the bullet. Yeah, apparently he does somehow know all this medical stuff. He learned everything he needed to know about being a doctor from his dad in the 10 years that uh, his dad was alive with him. Right. He then kidnaps Jennifer and tells her that he plans to replace her broken heart with one of those he took from the bodies of her friends. Wrights and Max arrive to save her. Wrights puts up enough of a fight with Dr. Giggles that Max and Jennifer manage to escape. Dr. Giggles manages to kill Wrights, but is unable to escape before his father's house explodes, apparently killing him. I don't know why it exploded, but... Yeah, it happens sometimes. (laughs) How does it just randomly explode? Jennifer is taken to the hospital where she is told that the traumatic events of the evening have damaged one of her heart valves and she is going to need surgery to replace it while she is bringing, and by the way, that's the, that's, I mean, okay. Yeah, I guess it was 35 years ago, so it might not have been, uh, as easy to do that, but like heart valve replacement surgery while dangerous is definitely something that's done all the time. And they, they have artificial valves they have pig uh, heart valves that they do it with. So, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But while she is being prepped, Dr. Giggles reappears, having survived the explosion, and is cutting a bloody path through the hospital staff to get to Jennifer. He chases her to a janitor's closet where she spills a bottle of cleaning fluid onto the floor and hits him with a pair of defibrillator paddles, electrocuting him. She finally kills him by stabbing him through the chest with two of his own instruments. Dr. Giggles then breaks the fourth wall, staring at the camera, asking, is there a doctor in the house before dying? (laughs) What a way to end your mostly serious horror film. I think I need to watch the ending now. Recovering in the hospital, Jennifer is visited by Max and her also recovering father. And that's that's the little denouement, I guess. The uh, the coda on that shit sandwich. But uh, yeah, that is Doctor Giggles. Not a good film from my memory. Hey, I would probably even doesn't say, but do you know if he shrugged when he said, "Is there a doctor in the house?" <laughs> I I I think. If I remember correctly, I think he turns, it's like full frame on his face. And just in in a really bad acting moment, but trying to be earnest, he says, is there a doctor in the house? Before, uh, you know, it like cuts away or whatever. <laughs> nice. But our main topic uh, today is about the Netflix documentary, uh, the Bundy tapes or the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix. And it's a four-part documentary on Ted Bundy's life and crimes. The it, the framing story is the the tapes that um, these two journalists got from him, mostly one guy, in a series of interviews shortly before his uh, death in the electric chair in Florida, and. Um, that's like I say, that's kind of the framing device because it really is, you don't, 
there are hundreds and hundreds of hours of these tapes and you don't really hear a lot of it. You hear a little bit, you hear enough to to sort of narrate and frame the story, but um, it's uh, it, it's a straight documentary about the victims, uh, you know, his his life, his path of crime, and then his end, obviously. <clears throat> so, Mike, uh, what did you think of the Ted Bundy tapes? I actually had, I don't know if it was uh, even, like, anyone had, uh, like, you know, advertised before it came out. I just, like, had Netflix on and suddenly it was on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's, a, you know, how they suggest, like, you know, their main things are pushing or, or whatever. Yeah. And so I, uh, I just happened to have the day off, and uh, so my wife and I just, I think we watched all of them. I don't think we watched them all in a row, mm-hmm. because it was, like, you know, like, earlier in the morning, but not, like, you know, enough time to do that and do the other things we had to do. Right. Um, but we watched them all on the same day. Okay. And I thought they were interesting. It was kind of weird, because I used to read quite a bit about, like, murder and that kind of stuff when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I just lost my interest, you know. And I had always like read stuff, you know, about Ted Bundy and that sort of thing. I just never, I just had never actually heard his voice or anything like that before, which is kind of weird because the entire thing is based off his voice recordings that this uh, reporter, I think, did. Yeah, I can't remember exactly why he was given permission or why he let him do that, but uh, he basically recorded him and and he. It's it's actually kind of interesting. Did you? I don't know if you ever read the um the book If I Did It, the O.J. Simpson book written by O.J. Simpson. Yeah, I did actually. But uh, in the uh, OJ book, he basically kind of comes up with like a character, and he uses the character to describe how he's, you know, allegedly committed the murders, and mm-hmm. that's essentially the same thing that happens in the Ted Bundy thing. Uh, the reporter kind of suggests like, "Oh, how how do you think it might have happened?" You know, rather than him implicating himself, I believe he was trying to appeal his like sentence and get out of it until like his very last day, like the day before he was killed. He offered to like. Uh, provide more details of murders and stuff. And they're like, you know, at this point he's exhausted all his appeals. So they just executed him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's right that he, I know he was still under the appeal process when uh, they met. I think they met because ostensibly, I believe he wanted Ted Bundy wanted to tell his life story. Uh, it seems like, and this is a big theme in the, in the documentary that he really liked the attention and wanted to be famous, wanted to be well-known, wanted to be the center of attention. And he really didn't want to implicate himself in the murders or even necessarily take credit for the murders. So yeah, like a lot of the first part is him, the reporter talking about how frustrating it was that he couldn't get him to comment on these these different women, the the first ones that they knew of starting in, in Washington, where he lived, and that he came up with that idea of him being able to talk about it in the third person, and then he could get more detail, and obviously uh, he does. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny, like you talk about how you used to read about uh, serial killers and stuff, which obviously is something that a lot of people do. Um, I've written at least, yeah, I've written three books on uh, a specific serial killer, I did a lot of research on different serial killers to kind of understand a little bit better the psychology so I knew how to write it a little bit better. Although <clears throat> I did not really ever read about Ted Bundy very much and it didn't have much familiarity with Ted Bundy's case. So a lot of the things in uh, this documentary were like sort of revelations to me. They were things that I didn't really know. And so that was definitely interesting. But yeah, a lot of people seem intrigued by by reading about serial killers. And I think one of the reasons is, is because 
of how bizarre it is. Like, I think there are different reasons different people read about it. I think some people kind of look for answers. Some people are just fascinated by the the oddity of, of the whole thing, of, of a, a person that could think so differently than than most of the rest of us do. And so I think there's difference, but they're, they're anomalies. Serial killers are, are anomalies in society. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of one of the things that draws people in to these kind of stories is just how, how different and strange, um, serial killers and their psychology can be. And they point out in the documentary, and I think it's definitely true that Ted Bundy was scarier for a lot of people uh, than other serial killers in certain ways because he was so normal. You know, like he, he obviously in his thought, he expressed that difference and that oddity, but in his outward appearance and his demeanor, he really didn't, you know, like John Wayne Gacy, he looks like a creep. Um, Charles Manson, you know, he's got that wild look in his eye, he carves a swastika in his forehead and things like that. And he, you know, it's like, oh, there he is. There's, it's like the mustache twirling villain almost, you know, not quite exactly to that degree, but that's what a lot of serial killers looked like in, in this era. And, uh, even, uh, David Berkowitz, uh, the son of Sam, you know, he, he looks like a regular New York guy, I guess, but he was a loner. He stayed in his apartment unless he was out killing people. Uh, he was caught, uh, David Berkowitz was caught because of a parking ticket. And when the police called the dispatcher at the local uh, precinct by where he lived, she said, oh, David Berkowitz, I know that guy. He's really weird. And like she she immediately thought like, oh, everyone that knows him thinks he's a really weird guy. And so that was kind of the what the public understood as far as serial killers went is that you can pick them out kind of thing, or at least they'd fooled themselves into thinking that. But with Ted Bundy, it was completely different. And they, they, they play that up a little bit, especially in the first episode of, uh, of the first uh, or the first episode of the documentary where they I think which I think is called um, what is it called? Uh, Handsome Devil where um, they talk about how normal he was, how articulate he was, and things like that. And I think that's one thing that really freaked people out about Ted Bundy. Yeah, what's uh, what's interesting about that is uh, I, there really weren't a lot of books about Ted Bundy when I was into reading those types of books. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was, oddly enough, by the true crime writer Anne Rule. Okay. She had a she had volunteered at a rape crisis center uh, back in Washington in like the late seventies, early eighties, and he actually worked with her at the crisis. Wow. Yeah, I mean, of all the people to have you know known him, and she like you know talked about it a little bit, but you know, and then there's another book uh, that was called uh, River, like the, the Search for the Green River Killer. Yeah, I think, and then like it was about this uh, detective Robert Keppel. He's actually in this uh, quite a bit. He has very like large eyes. You'll recognize him if you see him. Yep. I remember. Yeah, he, it, the, those were basically the only two books, and like like you said, they're always like people always give off like this like mystique and that sort of thing about him. But what I found interesting is when they did kind of play that up in the first uh, the first episode. The more the episodes went on, you realize that this was all like never was never a movie. People describe how like he was kind of an odd person, you know, like mm-hmm. he like looks like you know he looks and acts how you're supposed to. But there's something off about him. Yeah, for sure. And and when you see him in interviews. Uh, 
<clears throat> you kind of get that that impression that that smile, like the smirk that he that he had. You know, it's not like a warm kind of thing. It's not. It it, it looks off. <laughs> you know, it it doesn't yeah. it doesn't look right. <clears throat> you can see there's kind of something behind his eyes, and a lot of people. Um, you know, the reporter and some other people talk about his eyes and his hands a lot in this documentary and how his eyes go black when he's talking about, you know, the killings and, and things like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, uh, another thing that I found fairly interesting is they, at one point, I believe it's in the last episode where they're talking about his trials and everything, <clears throat> they sort of... They talk a lot of they've talked to a lot of his defense counsel and they seem to sort of want to put a little seed of doubt in your mind as to whether or not he actually committed these crimes. You know, they bring up the stuff that at that what was it called? Samar Samarita um beach or whatever it was, the that <clears throat> beach where the yeah, two, yeah, where the two women went missing, how um the eyewitnesses they uh they said definitively the three three of the four said definitively that that this guy Ted Bundy wasn't the guy um didn't look like him and then they bring up some different things about lack of physical evidence and things like that in the last episode <clears throat> but i just think about it and i think i know that there was a lot of killing and stuff going on in the 70s and everything there was a lot more crime in the 70s than there is now <clears throat> but i think about man He'd have to be the most unlucky person in the world if he didn't do it. Because every single place he went while he was there, there were a series of teenage women who all had dark hair, who all looked similar, that disappeared and were later found killed by similar means, left in... Uh, in mountainous areas in uh, the woods, besides the Florida, uh, besides the, the Chaya Omega House one, where right. he obviously, I don't know, felt a compulsion or something like that. But man, he'd have to be so unlucky because it starts in Washington and then it's in Utah when he's in Utah. And there are, by the way, there are no more disappearances or murders in Washington when he's not there anymore. Then it goes to Colorado when he's in Colorado. Then it's in Florida when he's in Florida. And I mean, he did, you know confess like towards the end of his life and they and they show that um and you know it's one of those things where you know I've heard people that still defend him say that oh he was doing that because he was trying to get his you know the death penalty uh commuted and everything you know it's funny too another thing about the death penalty because I've actually coincidentally before we even talked about doing this I'd been reading about the death penalty for some reason um just out of curiosity, I suppose. Yeah, curiosity. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> they said that uh, one of the guys said when he was arrested in 1975, I believe it was, um, in Colorado, that, uh, you know, he was going to get tried for murder. This was before his first escape attempt. And that, you know, that would carry that would carry the death penalty as you know a um a penalty with it which is true and 
untrue in in a certain in certain ways because in 1972 um in Furman v Georgia the United States Supreme Court in a 72 decision decided you know ruled that um capital punishment was you know violated the 8th amendment to the constitution and their lit, their their reasoning was basically that there wasn't a standard uh there wasn't a standard for who would be put to the death to to death and who wouldn't be uh there was no uniform standard and they were concerned that it was being carried out in prejudicial ways uh you know more minorities more people with mental illness or 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 um mental handicaps were being put to death than you know white men or women but you know obviously not a lot of women get put to death but um so that was their their arguments and um they uh you know the states they went and ratified laws to to satisfy the supreme court's need for a uniform standard and by 1976 in Greg versus Georgia uh the the uh supreme court said that you know, now that standards had been put in place, that that capital punishment was once again legal. So obviously in 1975, it was still under Furman versus Georgia, but Colorado in 1974 did reenact the death penalty with a, uh, you know, a set of standards. And, and, you know, one of them was committing a murder in the act of a felony and kidnapping being a felony and being one of the felonies actually um laid out in their statute so he he would have been eligible for the death penalty but again another little wrinkle the state of Colorado has only put one person to death since 1974 since the re- since the reinstation of the death penalty and that was in 1997 now would they have put him to death uh, it's it's possible it's possible not i don't know because if that ha- trial had allowed had been allowed to go forward they may have only convicted him on the one murder uh and and not really not really searched for any other murders that he may have caused so i mean he he may not have been put to death he may have he may have got his life imprisonment uh in Colorado, if he had never escaped, I don't know. But I thought that was uh, sort of interesting, uh, that part of it as well. See, I thought what you were going to say was uh, this thing that I had read somewhere. I don't remember where exactly, but supposedly uh, when he was, uh, you know, in the process of being convicted in uh, Colorado, like he had asked someone where he'd be most likely to be executed, and they said that it would be the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. And someone kind of tried to connect that together, saying that's why he went to Florida. Because he wanted to be caught and executed, which I don't necessarily buy that. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that either. Um, because I'd, I'd also heard at one point that he came, he actually had decided between Florida and uh, Michigan, but the weather was better in Florida, so that's why he went there and said, like U of M, he wanted to be in a college town. Right, yeah, and he actually did, did come to Ann Arbor for a little bit and watched the uh, watched in a bar the, um, the Rose Bowl game between Washington and U of M that year. But Michigan, as those of you that live in the state where we live know, uh, we don't have the death penalty. And I, I don't know that we, I don't think we've ever had the death penalty, at least yeah, not, I don't think not we in ever modern have. times. No. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so, 
Obviously, he would not have gotten the death penalty here, but he still would have been eligible for it in uh, in Colorado. I mean, yeah, they would have. They would have. Let's say he never went to Florida. He like he killed some people in Michigan and then and then got caught. They would have extradited him. They would have found him guilty in Michigan. They would have found him guilty in Washington, and then they would have taken him to Colorado last because they would have they would have put him wherever he could have gotten the death penalty. At least that's what I think. So what I think is kind of interesting is um, technically all these murders are also kidnappings. Yeah. And the FBI has jurisdiction over kidnappings. I don't know why the FBI doesn't invoke their jurisdiction more. Yeah, I agree. Because anytime anyone's kidnapping, they just kind of assume, or at least they are allowed to assume, they're taken out. I mean, maybe they're not as likely to, uh, you know, give the death penalty. Maybe states are weary that, you know, the federals will uh, get the credit. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, yeah, the FBI, especially in this in this uh, time period, the FBI didn't exert their authority in these kind of criminal cases very often. The FBI really more focused on uh, you know, um, the mafia and, uh, you know, inter- like international drug cartels, things like that. They didn't really focus as much on, um, on these kind of, of cases, like, you know, not unless they were like high profile kidnappings or, or something like that, but, you know, garden variety kidnappings, they really didn't, they didn't ex- exert, exert their, uh, their jurisdiction there and, um, you know, once he kills across state lines and they point, they point that out that the FBI sort of got involved, but they didn't even have a task force for serial killers at this point. But, um, but yeah, like once he kills across state lines, he's technically an, an interstate criminal at that point and subject to, uh, FBI's jurisdiction. Yeah. I think the issue might be is that I don't know if there's a felony murder equivalent or if you can even be charged with, um, you know, cap a capital crime. I don't think kidnapping is a capital crime. I'm not really sure though. No, it's a federal crime. Like, like, like oh, federal. But I don't know if they can, uh, if the federal government can execute you for kidnapping. Um, I don't think they can execute you for kidnapping, but it's definitely. I mean, there's definitely a, a some standard penalty uh, for yeah, because it. because generally, like murder is like a state issue unless it's like certain protected. You know, like if it's yeah. a federal agent, right? That sort of thing. So. So it's, I mean, in some states like Florida, like if they don't have a, uh, if they don't have a, you know, anything on the books for murder or like a equivalent of felony murder, then maybe they just couldn't possibly execute you for that crime. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, so, so maybe they could, you know, they, especially at the time, since a, a big part of the movie, and it was a very unfortunately accurate part, was just how unconnected all the different agencies were. Like in the state of like Washington alone, like they didn't even know how many people were murdered or who, you know, they didn't know that they all looked similar. They didn't, you know, they didn't piece any of the information together until it was like way too late. Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of dark comedy, but it reminds me of a John Mulaney joke where he talks about how easy it was to get away with murder or something like that, you know, back before DNA and things like that. And he's like, it's like two guys at a crime scene. It's like, sir, we uh, we found. Um, we found a bucket of the uh, killer's blood uh, in the corner here. Gross. Now back to my hunch. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, obviously it wasn't quite that bad. But um, but it really, you know, it really was, uh, especially in those times. And like you said, without the coordination. See, one of the things that Ted Bundy's crime 
did that was good, or crimes did that was good, I suppose, for law enforcement is really forced them to work together. And now there's a uh, uh, an interstate database of, um, you know, like, uh, you know, like different um, serial killers or suspected serial killers or profiles of, you know, violent killers. Anytime there's, you know, any kind of uh, like killing patterns that come up in each state it gets put into this central database and any law enforcement officer from a different state can you know type in like basic criteria you know kills these kind you know this type of people in this way or whatever and can see similar cases from different states to see if there's any kind of link between different people killing across state lines. But, you know, I mean, in the in the 70s, obviously serial killers had been around for a while. I mean, Jack the Ripper and even way before that, as anomalies here and there, Ed Gain in the, I think that was the 20s or the 30s in, 30s. in Wisconsin. And then, um, you know, there were, you know, ones here and there, but it didn't really get to be high profile. And for some reason, there seemed to be, a rash of them in the in the seventies and early eighties. See, see, I think that's just a matter of uh, more information being available and more people connecting certain crimes to one individual. I mean, yeah, it could be, yeah. There would be no reason for it to be less. Just like how certain, like you know, like syndromes and sort of thing are more easily diagnosed or have broader criteria now, so we're more aware of them. That doesn't mean they're necessarily occurring more often. Right, and like you know, I mean, if you go back to the old west, a lot of those uh, gunfighters, even the 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 law the the law people who were sanctioned to do it, a lot of those people were just mass murderers too. <laughs> you know, in a, in, a, in a slightly different way, but they killed a bunch of people. It could also be another issue of like population getting to a point where people are crowded so much that you know someone can you know kill and get away with it so easily that you know they are able to take out a, quite a few victims. Yeah, you know, and th- this is something that I hadn't considered until you brought that up just now. But um, it also increases the number or the potential number of you know mentally deranged people who would do something like this. You know, if you have a population of a hundred people. And, you know, it's 10% that are born with this kind of, uh, obviously it's not that high, but just as an example of people born with this kind of mental defect that where they could be violent murderers, then, you know, like, uh, you know, one of, what did I say? One of them could be, uh, could be one of these people. But if you increase that to a million or a hundred million or whatever, it's this percentage is going to stay the same, but the number of them is going to increase. So, you know, that could be part of it too. More people, it's more easy to find a stranger. I mean, you know, back in like the maybe 1800s, you probably would know everybody that you ever knew, you know, within like, you know, the first five years of your life, you probably wouldn't travel that much. Yep. You basically live in one town and, Oh, Mr. Shepard came to visit, you know, from the other town and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you were to, if you were to murder somebody, everyone would immediately know who it was like, Oh, that was clearly Bradley. He he, he killed that guy. Look at the way he tied those knots. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, but that's kind of, I think it was a confluence of a lot of a lot of things, but this is this seems to be when it caught everybody, you know, like this serial killer fever kind of caught everybody, and that led obviously to a lot of good changes in the way law enforcement handles things like this. But definitely, 
a very interesting to and to hear him to hear Ted Bundy talk about his crimes to talk about even if it's in the third person and to talk about motivations for it he talks about pornography a lot um yeah, I think that was actually a ploy to you know get the religious right at the time involved I think so too because I mean because he he, yeah. he did do like an interview with like one of his last interviews with this with this uh James Dobson guy who was like a big like you know religious like mm-hmm. person who liked to blame pornography for everything yeah and as one of the guys points out you know there's a lot there's a lot of people that um that have access to pornography and read pornography and they don't turn into violent murders. <laughs> Yeah, yeah interesting. I bet he probably was against pornography just because he was like a conservative, like Republican at the time. So mm-hmm. he was on officially and probably possibly even like legitimately like disgusted by it. But at the same time, he's, you know, murdering people. Right. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's interesting. Obviously, pornography doesn't cause people to to commit murder just in the same way that video games don't cause people to commit murder. If you're going to commit murder it's because there's something there's something wrong with your brain <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. that's just that's just how it is you have to whether or it's yeah whether it's um whether it's uh genetic or environmental or a combination of the two i suppose there are different causes for different pe- for different people but you know some set of circumstances comes together to to create this, and it's there's yeah. certainly no a lot of them have had, a lot of them have had like major head trauma, you know, like in their youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't like, surprise think, me. Yeah, which is interesting too, because you know that can you know affect like your empathy and that you know those parts of your brain, and you know obviously can have other effects. Yeah, they mention in the uh, in the documentary that one of the doctors uh, was, or I think it was a psychologist, thought that it was possible that. He, uh, Ted Ted uh, Bundy had a tumor somewhere in his brain that could be affecting that that part of his brain the em- the empathetic part of his brain. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't. He seemed like he had a pretty traumatic childhood. As again, as another frequent you know factoid that comes up in you know, mm-hmm. murders and this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's, I mean, you can never really tell. I mean, it's. It's it's essentially the entire argument of nature versus nurture. Yeah, and it's different. It's different things for different people, I'm sure. And uh, you know, in my opinion, I think there is a genetic. I think you have to be genetically predisposed to this. And there's probably certain environmental factors of how you were raised, patterns of abuse, things like that that um, that can lead to this as well. Or, or that contribute to this as well, to where if you don't meet all the criteria, you probably don't become like this. And, you know, obviously serial killing is closely associated with uh, psychopathy and, uh, you know, people who are sociopaths. Um, uh, and it's important to note that there are plenty of people out there who are sociopaths who are not serial killers. There are plenty of people out there who, who have this this particular uh, mental incapacity where they can't feel empathy, but they don't have the violent tendencies uh, to go along with that, that serial killers do. So, you know, they, they can be manipulative and, and, you know, try to get things for them selfish and, you know, they can display certain characteristics like that, but not necessarily the violence. So it's a very unique alchemy that makes up a serial killer. 
Um, which again is another it takes reason. all types, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Which again is another another reason why they're so fascinating. Yeah, this. I mean, I mean, if there was like a tier of like you know the most interesting serial killer to one of the least, Ted Bundy is definitely on the higher. You know, the more interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like you know almost like a celebrity of the serial killer genre. Yeah, and he seems to be like an archetype uh, that people in you know uh television and movies and literature use for some of their you know serial killers um yeah i think uh what's his um the silence of the lambs came out in like 1989 or so so it probably wasn't super long after it was publicly known about ted bundy and like what he had done and stuff and right one of the characteristics was inspired by him so he clearly had like grabbed like you know the uh zeitgeist of the time so much so that an author would like steal from him you know mm-hmm and he's only going done it like ten years before. He was just like, "Oh wow, this guy, you know, is like so like something about him that was just like the perfect time." As awful as it sounds for that to happen, it was just like you know captivated like the uh, country's imagination. Yeah, yeah, and and he got you know in certain ways he got what he wanted. Ted Bundy uh, to where you know if he wanted to be in the limelight, if he wanted attention and things like that, uh, you know, he certainly got it. His his trial was televised he was able to do you know a good amount of interviews and he, uh, married his wife in 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 the courtroom i know crazy <laughs> and they is a, a was that in florida i think it must have been in florida that was florida yeah and they had a child while he was in jail yeah, they, yeah it's uh, it's it's like it, it was uh, the the most interesting part to me was when they showed when he escaped from colorado mm-hmm. from the time he escaped in colorado and went to uh, florida and went to the Kai Omega house that was only 16 days that was insane to me yeah I mean especially since he went to Michigan at that time as well I mean that's quite the drive you know it's almost like he well I mean it's not gonna take 16 days to drive that far but he was just like coming apart at that point because he like tried to kill three people in the Kai Omega house and then left yeah. and it was still so worked up he tried to kill yet another person that's just like wow yeah yeah and and you know it had been a while since he had been since he'd been able to kill anybody um but uh, yeah, they he. Uh, I mean, it's definitely if you're interested in in this type of stuff, which, like I said, a lot of people are, uh, you know, including myself and Mike, um, or at least I know you used to be. I don't know how much you are now, but uh, but if you guys are interested in this, this this documentary is definitely worth checking out. It's uh, yeah, you know, I, I I tuned into it kind of expecting most of it to be the tapes and hearing Ted Bundy talk. And like I said, it's not really that the tapes are kind of a framing device for everything else that happens, but it is a very straight documentary literally going through uh, his crimes and his trial and everything. And it's very good. Um, So I definitely recommend it. I like to point out it was uh, directed by Joe Berlinger. I think his name is. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, he's he's one of the direct, two directors who did the Paradise Lost series. The other one actually passed away, I think, a few years ago. But okay. Paradise Lost is like an amazing documentary. If you've never seen that, it's about these uh, three young men who are accused of killing three other young men. Okay. No, I haven't um, seen it. Was, it. Yeah, it's it's really good. It, it's it's probably on HBO. It's it, I might have actually been an HBO documentary. I could be wrong. It's the first movie that Metallica authorized their music for because the kids are like really big Metallica fans. Okay. Put any piece of shit that came their way. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's he's a really good director. He did a movie that I love that 
is not a good movie, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it actually might have been the other guy, but it was uh, the Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows. Oh, yeah. I think he, or maybe it could have been the other guy from the, the duo that did Paradise Lost, did that as well. It's actually very similar in the intro to Paradise Lost, which is really bizarre in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd recommend that other movie by him. That was very good. And uh, Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows. Yeah. I've heard that that's I've heard that that's actually a good movie in the fact that you know it's obviously it's totally different than the Blair Witch, which I kind of appreciate with sequels. Yeah, it really plays into the mythology of the Blair Witch too, which is actually pretty like well like I I just happened to watch this document. It was like a you know a fake documentary um, about like the events before the the second one came out, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of that stuff is actually in or it was before the first one came out. A lot of that stuff is actually taken from that documentary so it's like really like really good if you're the small mythology of the Blair Witch Project oh, that's cool but uh, you know like I said definitely check out the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix if you're interested in that and you know Ted Bundy was a collector of, of sorts there we go he <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I I want to say something, but you'll probably have to you'll probably have to cut it out. I I don't know if he could put any of the the stuff that he wanted to collect on the walls. You know what he loved to collect most of all. What's that? I shouldn't say. No, say it. <laughs> but anyways, uh, collector mount. Is that what you're talking about? Mark? Yeah, collector mount. Uh is your premier spot for for uh, mounts to mount your collectibles on your wall, whether we're talking about DVDs, whether we're talking about uh, comic books, whether we're talking about uh, movie cases, Blu-rays, um, laser discs, whatever it is that Mike's thinking about that Ted Bundy collected. <laughs> you can mount it up on your wall. With Collector Mount. Um, Collector Mount is our sponsor for the month. This is uh, the last episode they're on for for now. I have to talk to Bill and see if he wants to continue the uh, arrangement that we have. But uh, go to CollectorMount.com. Use the code LATEFEE25 to get 25% off your order. And uh, you will be happy with what you get. Uh, Mike, I know that you've got uh, your collector mount with the uh, the Archie versus Predator comic in there as frequent listeners I'm know. looking at it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's glorious, isn't it? It really is. I should put like some kind of light on it so you get, uh, you know, be forced to avert your attention to it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so collector mount... Um, is unveiling the new, or has unveiled the new movie Blu-ray DVD mount. Go to collectormount.com, enter code LATEFEE25 for 25% off your order, and tell them, uh, you know, we sent you. You'll use the, the code, and, and and that'll tell us we, that uh, we sent you. Uh, these mounts are great. They 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 pop your collectibles right off the wall. Only four dollars and ninety nine cents for a collector mount, and it gets you in the game. Check out the pictures on the website too. 
and you will see exactly what this can do, how it can transform uh, any room in your house to a show place for whatever you like to collect. So collectormount.com, linked below. Go visit them, get a mount, and uh, be happy with that. To to wrap up the show this week, um, I th- figured, and this could be a show all on its own, so we're not going to go into huge detail here, but I see a lot of different podcasts that are movie podcasts have done a, uh, you know, movies we're looking forward to in 2019 or stuff like that, and I figured we don't we don't need to do a whole show based on that. But I was I was just going to run through uh, some shows. Any of you who are familiar with Mike's way of thinking now are probably going to know how he's going to respond to most of these. But I'm going to give you, Mike, a list of movies that are coming out in 2019. And we will see what you think of them. Um, or if you have any interest in seeing them at all. And I'll give some of my my opinions as well. The first one, we're starting in, in March, I'm doing this in chronological order, is called Fighting With My Family. This is, I'm not uh, super familiar with this uh, this movie, but it's uh, directed by Stephen Merchant uh, from the original The Office on British TV. He was in Extras as Hot well. Hot uh, Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um and I like him quite a bit. So he uh, he directed this movie. The Rock is in it. Um, and I believe it's basically... They're, it's a family of professional wrestlers. And they are working through... Oh, I saw a preview for this, actually. Okay. It but, looks really bad. Does it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Stephen Merchant wrote and directed it. So I think he's... Well, he's a, he's a huge wrestling fan, so... He brings that to the table. Right. I think he's really funny. I'm hoping that it's not terrible, but uh, I haven't seen the preview for it yet. So we'll see. I'm sure it's not going to make a lot of money. I'll tell you that much, uh, whether it's good or not, because it's it's not like a heavily advertised film or anything. But they, Someone owed Stephen Merchant something. Right. Uh, so the next one is Captain Marvel, the... Uh, the next Marvel movie. Mike, I hate to tell you, but we might have to watch this movie. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> Educating Mike, Captain Marvel. But this is gonna be uh this is gonna be a big one. Uh not the biggest one I don't think of the year, but this will be a big movie. People are hotly anticipating the Brie Larson led um you know it's so funny, Brie Larson was in one of my favorite movies came out, I think, two years ago or three years ago, called Room. Uh, I think it was two years ago. And not The Room, but uh, Room. Yeah, I heard of that, but I didn't she win like, an award or something for that? Yeah, she won Best Actress for that, and she was fantastic in that film. Really good, and now she's in a uh, big-time superhero movie. So, I guess she got paid. She was. She was in. A, I've only. The only thing I've seen her in is Twenty One Jump Street, the remake with uh, Jonah Hill and uh, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, maybe. Yeah. yeah. She's. She's. I actually saw it this weekend. I like her in that. But even though I find her likable in, uh, you know, in stuff that I watch, I just have no interest in watching any Marvel movies. Uh, the next one is Us, 
That's, uh, I think, I don't know if I had you watch the trailer for that or not, but that's the new yeah. Jordan Peele movie. They, they had that at the at the movie Glass. Oh my God, that was a disturbing preview. Yeah, I think that might actually, be, like, Jordan Peele, like I said, is, uh, you know, I like to get out a lot. This one I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to. I think this one might be pretty good. Um, Pet Cemetery, the remake of the yeah, Stephen I saw King preview for, I saw a preview for that too, and before it even got anywhere close to saying what it was, I knew it was Pet Cemetery. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, I read something a while ago uh, by this guy, I can't remember his name, no one famous or anything, but uh, he wrote online this his proposal for the Stephen King cinematic universe, since all these these movies are trying to make cinematic universes, and he had, it was, it was awesome. And any, anyone See, I wouldn't mind that. I would, that sounds interesting, actually. Yeah, anyone that that is interested in Stephen King or anyone that's interested in what I'm talking about, and maybe I'll try to link it below. Uh, I'll find it again. But if you look up on Google, uh, Stephen King Cinematic Universe, I think his article is probably the first one to pop up. It's long because he goes through all the movies. He goes through you know all the movies that he would do as far as a cinematic universe and who he would cast, what the plot would be, how it would connect to other movies. So it's kind of long, but it's very interesting. The, yeah, the, the big problem, of course, is that most Stephen King movies are really bad. Well, the biggest problem with it is that most Stephen King properties are owned by several different production companies. Oh, yeah, there is that, too. So I don't think they could ever actually do it. You know, like one of the reasons that they can, Marvel can do their thing is because the MCU is owned by Disney, so it's one studio. I guess if Disney decided to purchase or some large company like that, maybe universal or something decided to purchase the rights to all these different Stephen King properties. Maybe speaking they'd be able of, to do it. Speaking of rights to Stephen King properties, I read over the weekend that uh Brian Singer uh, bought the rights to do uh apt people for $1. Thanks oh. Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Selling movies to child molesters. Allegedly. Yes. I guess the uh, shower scene was a little too uh, realistic for some of the extras. Oh God! <clears throat> yeah, that mo- I don't like that movie very much actually. And obviously, yeah, I, I don't, don't like Brian Singer. Yeah, I, don't know. I think the the movie had potential. I mean, Br- Brad Renfro's a uh, pretty good actor, and uh, wasn't it Ian McKellen who played the other guy? Yes. I mean, obviously, Ian McKellen's uh, you know good actor as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it just didn't come together, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, that, that's a great idea because there's a lot of Stephen King, you know, stories and stuff that, again, they've uh, most of the movies have been very bad. There's mm-hmm. a lot of exceptions. You know, Carrie's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Green Mile obviously is a classic. But they connect anyway. The I mean, Mangler. <laughs> oh God, the Mangler. One of the worst. Yeah, there are some ref- there are some references. I mean, obviously Castle Rock. They mentioned different characters, but much like James Bond, the same character is often played by. A few different actors yeah and so like in this cinematic universe basically he had the dark tower be the centerpiece of it where they would make uh they'd make a dark tower movie kind of like they did which sucked but anyway but the, they'd make a dark tower movie and then they'd have a season of a tv of a dark tower tv show on netflix that would sort of fill in the blanks so it was like and i think he did three or four dark tower movies in his thing so it was like you know, Dark Tower movie, then a season of, of it on Netflix. Then, you know, the next year, another Dark Tower movie. Then the next year, another season of the show. And so that was sort of the centerpiece of it. And everything branched out from that. And there was The Stand. 
uh, Insomnia. There was there was a bunch of different uh, of movies. I think The Talisman was part of it. Um, uh, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of those, and I think The Dark Tower especially, work best as books as opposed to you know uh, TV shows or movies. Yeah, well, they're making a Dark Tower movie. I didn't. They already do that with Idris Elba. Or no, I'm sorry. Uh, I was thinking of the stand. They're making a the they're making the stand as a uh, as a uh, cinematic release. They they made a TV movie, but yeah, they made the Dark Tower with Idris Elba. It it the, a lot of the reason the people didn't like it is because it wasn't it wasn't like the book at all. Basically, there were it obviously... a, it's one movie, right? And these are like some of the longest books in history. Yeah, it's seven books. The series is seven books long. Seven very big books. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that obviously it's not what, what Stephen King fans were hoping for, and it wasn't a, a great, it wasn't a very well-made movie, so even people that weren't familiar with the Stephen King books didn't like it. So, <laughs> did not do well. But, um, but yeah, so obviously that's not going to happen because the rights issue is just too much to overcome. The next, the next movie is Avengers Endgame, which is the second part of the Avengers movie that came out last year, where everyone was uh, turned to dust. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do this movie. I mean, half the people are already dead, right? Yeah, I don't think they're going to be in it. I think they're. Huh. Gonna, I think they're going to focus on at the end of the original movie. Everyone that's left is basically the original Avengers, and then some. Uh, you know, a few other uh, people, and I think. I think this movie is probably going to be them trying to undo and resurrect uh, all the friends that they lost. I assume time travel or something like that's going to be involved. Maybe alternate dimensions. I, I don't know exactly how they're going to do this. I will say that the Russo brothers, who started out on Community and Arrested Development and things like that, they are very good at making these movies. So I think they'll probably do a good job and give us a satisfying conclusion. Um, I bet uh, this one will have CGI in it. <laughs> Good call. Uh, See it now. The next one, uh, uh, who star? It stars one of our our uh, favorite actors. No uh, sarcasm in this one. John Wick three. Keanu Reeves in in John oh. Wick three. Yeah, I saw a preview for that too. I was pretty excited about that. What's it called? The Perineum. <laughs> It's a Parabellum, which is actually the name of uh, the nine the nine millimeter round is actually nine millimeter nine millimeter Parabellum. Yeah, but in this instance, I think it means prepare for war or something like that. Right. Yeah, I actually read up on that too because I didn't want to look like an idiot talking to you, <laughs> but I wanted to use that joke about the perineum. Perineum. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would slip past me, as it often does. <laughs> but um, the next one is next one. You know, I'm kind of looking for. I'd like uh, uh, you didn't mention that you were excited for John Wick three as well, which I feel that you should do. Oh, I am excited for John Wick three. These movies. Um, this is the way to do an action movie where it's not a bunch of shaky cuts because. You know, we can't, it, it looks unrealistic if we, uh, if we film it straight. So we have to make it all shaky cam and cuts so you can barely tell what's happening. Uh, this is the way to do an action movie where you take the time to actually choreograph a scene, choreograph, you know, fights 
and you keep the camera, you know, the camera moves, obviously, to give that um, that kinetic energy to it, but it stays in frame. We're not doing a bunch of cuts. Keanu Reeves does an excellent job uh, with, you know, his fight choreography on this, and as do, you know, the generic villains and, and stunt doubles and, and everybody else that's involved in it, but this is definitely the way to do action movies, so I am absolutely looking forward to this one. What I like about uh, these movies is a uh, sorry I don't need to no, take much time on this, but uh, as a as a huge fan of the genre of action movie, this is a movie that just like has no pretense of a plot. It's like a a porn movie that has no plumber or pizza delivery man. It's right to the good stuff. You know? Right, exactly. It's all money shot in uh, in John Wick three. And we, the audience, are dripping wet when it's done. John Wick three, perennium, all money shots. Dripping wet. <laughs> oh god. Oh um so this next movie I am sort of looking forward to, even though this is a, a um an uneven series. Men in Black Four, uh International, I believe it's called, because I think that it's I don't know a lot about this plot, but I think it's sort of a side quill to the Men in Black series where it's the London office of the Men in Black, I think. Um, I don't know. I think that Australian uh, Timsworth, uh, Chris Hemsworth, Chris, yeah. the blonde, maybe. I think he's in it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He it's Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, and I like both of them a lot. They were both in uh, Thor Ragnarok together, and they have really good chemistry in that movie. They're both very funny. So I, I'm kind of looking forward to this as like a different. Uh, it's not going to be one that I rush out to see, but. It's a little bit different take, and I think that this could work. The next one, uh, one that my kids, I'm sure, are looking forward to, is Toy Story 4. Um, I know your kids are not big Pixar fans, right? No, they're not really. I mean, uh, my oldest one was really into Zootopia for a while. My youngest one never has really been super obsessed with, with like any like movie or anything like that, like TV series occasionally. But yeah, but uh, this one obviously will be, you know, a pretty big film. It'll, I'm sure, it'll make a lot of money. Uh, I, they're focusing on Bo Peep in this one, uh, finding Bo Peep and bringing her back. It's basically, it seems like it's Get Woody Laid, the, the movie. That's cool. Like, are they going to do like a Team of America kind of thing? <laughs> I wish, but um, but yeah. So that's uh, you know, that's Toy Story four. I, I oh, you, you know, actually, I forgot to mention this. Nick Frost is in that wrestling movie. I saw the preview for it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember reading that, and I remember that Stephen Merchant and Nick Frost is what piqued my interest. It's the only reason I put it down on the list. Of, uh, of movies that we were going to talk about. But yeah, like, like I said, I, haven't, I didn't get around to seeing the preview, so... I don't know if it sucks, we'll tell you guys. Uh, this one, I, I think this one we'll pro- we're probably both looking forward to. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is the, um, the, Quentin Tarant- the next Quentin Tarantino movie. This is about the uh, Manson family murders. I'm kind of lukewarm on it. I mean, it's something I'll probably see eventually, but I still haven't seen the, um, what is it, the eight unruly gents or something like that. <laughs> eight really, eight guys that, that don't like things. Eight guys in a pizza place. Right. 
No, isn't it the ungr the hateful eight, right? Yes, the hateful eight. The I ungrateful heard. eight. <laughs> that would be a good movie. <laughs> I actually thought of some uh, great movies earlier when you were talking about that uh that's uh sitcom you're watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I, I still haven't seen that. I've heard it's good, but it's like a, isn't it like a three hour movie? I think it's around two hours and two and a half hours. I think around that. Yeah, that seems way too long for a uh, Quentin Tarantino movie for me. He tends uh like you know when he tends to indulge himself, it gets a little like you know bothersome. Like uh, Kill Bill Volume Two essentially was like, hey, here's me. I'm Quentin Tarantino. I'm doing Quentin Tarantino. It's it's good. It's a good movie. Um. It, there, it's definitely two halves. You know, um, the the second half is probably stronger than the third half. Or, I mean, the second half is probably stronger than the first half of the movie. But um, I do kind of like how it, it builds characterization and relationships at the beginning of the film. And they dev- they, ta- they take their time doing it. There, there are some long shots that don't necessarily need to be in the movie. Uh, but they're they're gorgeous. They're you know they're 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 gorgeous shots. It's not a perfect film uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's a good one. I think eventually you and I will do um, uh, you know a series like we did with Kevin Smith on Quentin Tarantino films, so you can watch it then if you if you want. But yeah, um, I'll watch I'll watch it eventually. But it's probably going to be something I'll catch on TV. I'm like, oh, I should have watched that years ago. But it is good, you know. It's not it's not his best film, but it's a good but it's a good movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like I said, I'll probably see this eventually, but I don't think I'll see it at the theater. Like the casting, like I don't think it sounds amazing to me. No, it's Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I'm trying to remember who else is in it. Um, no, uh, the Lena Lena Dunham lady's in it. Yeah. I don't know what her role is, but there's also this guy who was uh, in Justified. He, he plays um, Charles Manson. He was actually really good in Justified, so he might be pretty good. Oh, it's not it's not Justified, though? Justi- it's not, ju- Justified's not in it, I don't think. Oh, okay. That sucks. <laughs> but, um, I think Justified's doing a Deadwood movie. Is that on your little list there, Mark? No, I didn't put that on there. Oh, I don't know if it's coming out this year. The next movie is going to be very... Your 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 wife is going to like this one a lot. For those of you uh, listeners who don't know, I don't think we've ever mentioned it before. Uh, Mike's wife is my cousin, and Mike and I have known each other since what sixth grade, something like that. Yeah, I think sixth grade. Um. So, uh. So Mike's wife and I grew up together, being cousins. But uh, the next movie on the list is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, yeah, I was actually talking to my daughter about that earlier because she had her copy of it, you know, on the floor because why would you want to put it in a bookshelf? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I told her, I, I can't, I could have sworn I read, like, isn't Guillermo del Toro doing this? Yes, he's directing it. Yeah, yeah so that's actually probably going to be very, like, creepy and probably very good. Yeah, that's my, that's my thought on it, too. When I saw that he was directing it, I said, okay, well, this is going to get, this is going to get a little off the wall, too, then. Um, but yeah, I mean, unless I'm you know, there's some fish man in the story, then I might have to turn it off. You know, it's been a long time since I've seen an anthology movie, and I assume that this is what the that it's going to be. That it's going to be a, a series yeah, of I, stories. Yeah, I, I would hope so. Well, we saw the Ballad of Buster Shrugs. That wasn't too long ago. That's true. That's true. That that is uh, that is an anthology story. But yeah, like sort of like that. I think that's kind of what this is. Uh, 
this is going to be, and it might have a, a wraparound, you know, story, a framing device story that a lot yeah. of them do. I mean, I can only expect nothing but the best from this movie. When's it coming out? You said May or something? This one is coming out, I think, in June. Oh, or no, yeah. I don't no, know. What, this what? one's October. Okay, I was saying, why would you not release that in October? I mean, that would, that's like that would be the only flaw with the idea of this movie. Yeah, October's a little stuffed with movies, because that's when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out, uh, then Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and then It Chapter 2. Um, oh, yeah. Are you looking forward to It Chapter 2? Not really. My wife is, for some reason, uh, even though after we watched the first It movie, she was like, eh, it wasn't that good. But she's still looking forward to the second one for some yeah, reason. I felt that the first It movie like adhered to the book a lot better. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from that, you know, that gangbang part. Right. Um. I mean, the 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 TV movie was it was a weird movie. I mean, it wasn't. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously Tim Curry was great in it, but I don't think you know it was that movie the doesn't best hold version. up. No, it really doesn't. And um, the worst yeah, the, part of it is the adult stuff. Yeah, so I saw. I thought in chapter one. I mean, the kids were pretty good actors and that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's it's hard to watch the movie when you're just thinking of Tim Curry's version of Pennywise all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- course, Tim Curry's the, the good CG- thing about that original one. Yeah. Yeah, and possibly the only good. I mean, again, the, the, it's it's really weird. Seth Green is in that movie, but he's. Yeah. I think I mentioned this before, but he's like 15 and everybody else is like 10, and he's like the same height as them, but he looks a lot older. Yeah. Really <laughs> Jonathan Brandis was in it. Um, oh, yeah, it was just, uh, I thought there was somebody else who was like a, who grew up to be like a famous actor. Wasn't the one who played? No, I think that is. I think that's Seth Green. Thinking of. I mean, it was okay. I mean, I thought it one was all right, but I'm not. I don't even know if I'll see it two in theaters. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I know where it's going to go. Yeah, I'm just curious as to how much of like the the especially weird parts like the turtle and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. From, even because I mean they tried to do the deadlights thing and the TV adaptation it just came out of left field it just made no sense at all yeah yeah I um the first one was okay it wasn't that scary to me the thing that that um the thing that I didn't like about the the first one is and this is you know and my wife uh my wife and my mother-in-law watched it with me and we all watched it together and they, you know, they said that we were lucky we had you here because they don't do a lot of explaining, which I mean, can be good in a certain ways. But but there were a lot of things that are from the book. Like you said, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty, um, they're pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty good about following the book stuff. But there's some stuff that's in the movie from the book that's not explained at all and i we watched it on dvd and i had to pause it a few times and i explained to him in the book this is what happens and this is why they're saying this and this is why this is going on right now and they're like oh okay that makes sense (laughs) yeah i never even considered that because you know i read the book obviously and Mm -hmm. it just you know i I would i would have loved it if they would have started exactly how they start off the first uh or how they start off the book it you know with like the guy in 85 like being thrown off or at least the you know I mean, just to be completely true to form, that would, that would be probably a much longer movie, but that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. And then if you have it like, super long, then like the dead lights and the turtle and the beams and all that shit, you know, actually makes sense. As opposed to, oh look, there's lights traveling through the sewers now. It's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> right. I, I would just exclude those elements entirely from the movie if it's going to be that short. Yeah, I mean, I, I will see it chapter two, but like you, I don't think I'll see it in the theater. I think I'll wait till it uh, till it comes out. Um, 
you know, on streaming and, and stuff like that. But uh, I like the so, cast. Yeah, it wasn't uh, Scott McAvoy. Scott McAvoy? J- James. James McAvoy. Um, what's her name? That Jessica, Jessica Chastain. Chastain. Yeah. I don't know who else is in it. John Ritter, uh, probably not going to. Bill Hader's in it. One. Who is he? Is he uh, Richie or? I think he's Richie, yeah. That's, yeah, it might be all right. But, I mean, I'm probably still not going to go out to the theater to see it. No, I won't go out to the theater to see it either. But it, but I will see it eventually. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure they'll do a fine job with it. But I'm not, you know, this is not one that I'm super anticipating. No, I just hope they do the right thing and just completely ignore the uh, book fans and go straight for the uh, theater, you know, the movie fans, because that's really who they're making this for. Mm-hmm. Um. um yeah, go ahead. You said a lot of stuff comes out in October. What else is coming out in October? The Joker uh, movie with Joaquin yeah. Phoenix and uh, the Todd Phillips directed one. It seems so weird. See, I think this might be an interesting movie. It's going to be one that's either going to be really good or just like a complete mess. Yeah, I, I could mean, see Joaquin it being a Phoenix. mess. Joaquin Phoenix is a good actor, and I mean, no one thought before, you know, they actually saw the uh, Dark Knight that, like, everyone thought Heath Ledger was the Joker. That's a terrible choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, Todd Phillips, I mean, he's mostly a com- I don't know that I've ever seen any, you know, non-comedies done by him. I mean, he's a good director, though. I mean, I, I, it's an interesting idea. I, I, I want to see what happens. But again, I'm not going to go to the theater. I saw that G.G. Allen movie that he did. Oh yeah, I, I heard I heard of it. I I, I have no interest in watching it though. GGL just doesn't interest me. No, me either. Um, but then we go we go into December of this year, and uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. The Tom Hanks led Mister Rogers movie, which is getting a lot of buzz. Obviously, I'm sure that'll be a an Oscar contending movie because one, it's Tom Hanks, and two, everyone loves Mister Rogers. Is uh, Tom Hanks just like doing like biopics of like uh, old people that uh, provided happiness for millions at this point? Apparently, I guess. Uh, um, and then yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to see that. I mean, I don't have to that we all know this. I'll probably see it eventually, but I'm not going to see it in the theater. Yeah, for, for Mr. Rogers, I mean, what, it doesn't really interest me that much. He had a weird show. I, I didn't really care for that much. The Terminator is uh the next movie that comes out in december um this is the one where james cameron has the rights to the terminator back and it's a sequel it's a direct sequel to terminator 2 so terminator 1 and terminator 2 are in continuity in this universe the sarah connor chronicles tv show and all the other movies are not written out but they're explained away as happening in an alternate timeline. So this is a yeah. direct sequel to Terminator 2. Okay. And, uh, Arnold is way too old for this movie. Yeah. I, would, they br- how, how do they explain this? I mean, <clears throat> he's this Terminator that was melted in the fire, but now he's <laughs> he aged. You know, like, obviously he's going to be an older person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't... They might use that de-aging thing. Who knows? I mean, they do mention that, the you know, the biological flesh... In theory, ages, but they all just die so quickly. But he literally lowered himself into a pit of molten hot lava. Yeah. He drove to a lava factory off the highway, and he just dunked himself in there. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to explain it. I know Linda Hamilton's back. Um, 
I think that's interesting. Isn't he divorced from uh, Linda Hamilton? Yes. Uh, so, you know, there, there's that one. And then um, I think Avengers Endgame will probably be the biggest hit as far as, you know, the one, the movie that makes the most money. But this will probably contend with it. The last movie uh, around Christmas time, December 2019, Star Wars Episode Nine. Oh yeah, that, I mean, Toy Story is also coming out. Uh, I mean, it's going to be hard to say which one's going to be the uh, you know the most successful. Yeah, and they're all they're all Disney properties. <laughs> all the biggest oh, yeah. movies are all Disney properties. Oh yeah, I forgot that they own the Marvel or whatever. Yeah, they own, for them. they own Lucasfilm, Marvel, and um, obviously Pixar. But uh, yeah, Disney is going to absolutely destroy the box office this year. I'm actually interested to see how much they make combined. Um, so uh, look at Disney stock prices is what you're saying. Yeah, because they are going to destroy this year. But uh, yeah. I'm not super look. You know, it's funny because I'm not looking forward to a lot of movies um, this uh, this year. But I think I'm jaded. I'm watching movies, but I'm not. I'm not looking forward too much to Star Wars Episode Nine. It's one I'll see for sure, um, and it's one we'll talk about yeah, for sure. But uh, the last one, it just kind of the way it ended. I just I don't know. I didn't love it, but. Um, yeah, so that that one will definitely be uh, big, and yeah, like you said, I think probably Avengers and Toy Story four and, and Star Wars will uh, compete. The one big movie I didn't mention, uh, I forgot to mention, that comes out in the summer. That's not uh, necessarily a Marvel movie. I mean, it kind of is and it kind of isn't. Is that uh, Spider Man Far From Home movie? That's Sony. What's that? Is that a sequel to the? Other Spider-Man one, yeah. Is that was that guy in the the? I thought didn't they just come out with like a Spider-Man like cartoon or something? Yes, uh, Into the Spider Verse. That's like I I hear oh. I hear it's very good. That's a um, that's a, a multiverse one where they uh, there it's a bunch of different iterations of Spider-Man. They have the Miles Morales Spider-Man and Peter Parker, and um, they have Spider Ham in there too. And I can't it's, remember so, the other one. You want to hear something insane? I just looked this up. Uh, Disney is a $165 billion uh, company. Netflix is at $146 billion. That's insane that Netflix is so close in value to uh, Disney. No kidding. God, that's insane. Netflix is going to buy Disney, or Disney's going to buy Netflix next. They pro- I mean, they, I know they're rolling out their own streaming service, and that's what the article is mostly talking about, because I was trying to find out how much stock Blizzard is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just like, I'm surprised they're that close because Netflix has been around less than 20 years for sure. So. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Well, you know, I, I don't hold any ill will towards them because, uh, <clears throat> you know, they provide us with good entertainment too. So I like, yeah. I like, I like what they do. I like their price. Um, so go, go and make your money. Yeah. Good for, good for both of them. Oh, but, uh, yeah, that is our show for this week. Um, as always, the best thing that you can do for us is to tell a friend about the show, force it into any conversation that you can find. Oh, I'm sorry that, uh, that you had this miscarriage. You know what always cheers me up <laughs> is oh massive late fee. That's exactly how you, you wanted to do it. 
Yeah, broach every subject talking about this show. No, but seriously. Ooh, full-blown, huh? (laughs) Speaking of a massive amount of uh, the uh, cellular structure in your body. I know your T-cells might not be massive. (laughs) But sometimes late fees are. Oh, my God. Probably don't do that one. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, wow. Oh, man. But yeah, tell a friend about uh, Massive Late Fee. Uh, and if you want to donate to us, you can go to Patreon, uh, donate a dollar to or more if you want. But, uh, you know, dollar's good to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Massive Late Fee. That'll be linked below. You can email the show, Massive Late Fee at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Facebook uh, at Massive Late Fee. Bandcamp, our audio commentaries, uh, massivelatefee.bandcamp.com. And I think that's about it, right? Oh, uh, don't forget late underscore Mike on Twitter. I uh, found the password and I uh, am able to access the account. Awesome. And uh, anyone listening, why don't you uh, uh, tweet me an example of a way you worked uh, Massive Late Fee into a conversation that had nothing to do with it. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, maybe, maybe the next contest we will have... This is a good idea for a contest. We'll do a contest where the most uh, the most creative way that you can work uh, our show, listening to our show, into a conversation, and most creative one wins. I might massively fee. Yeah, work it in. I might uh, I might set that up uh, where we have uh, another contest with that. That's a good idea. But uh, that is the show for this week. We will see you next week, hopefully with the skeptical skeptics. Uh, Have a good week, everybody. See you. Bye. See you later.